Well, amen. We are in week four of our series, Chasing Carrots, The Endless Pursuit of More. And I I truly pray that the last four weeks has encouraged you, but also challenged you. Um, If you're like me, any time before God's word, it equally is encouraging and challenging. Uh, You read a verse and you think, man, that's such a powerful truth. Thank you, God, for giving me that. And we just rejoice and we praise. And then the next morning you open up your word and you start reading and you just get hit with that verse that's not as seemingly encouraging as you think the one before was. But you're reminded that when God challenges us to step out, to do whatever he's calling us to do, he will not leave us. He will equip us and go with us. And so when he challenges you or maybe brings conviction in an area of a decision that you need to make, that is an encouragement. Because he honestly, truly wants the absolute best for your life. And the reality is, if we can get this, I think we'd be a lot farther along. I know it's true of me. When I forget this truth, the best that he has for your life is most likely not the best you have for your life. It will not be the same thing. And so when you allow yourself to just surrender to him, it's amazing what he can do. And so I pray that over the last four weeks, you've been able to experience God encouraging, strengthening, uh, maybe affirming some things that you already knew, but maybe were weak in understanding how that could apply to your life and God strengthen you in that. And so this morning, as we're diving into week four, um, I do pray that if you've missed any of the messages, you can get them online. So maybe you would do that this week. And so we have discovered that all of us can feel the pull to get consumed by the pursuit for something more. That this something that we pursue will finally bring us contentment, happiness, joy, peace, security, whatever it is that we think it's going to bring us. If I can just get this one thing, if I could just move into that house, if I could just have that relationship, if I could just have that raise, if I could just get into this situation, then everything would be fine. I'd be happy. I'd be content. And I wouldn't ask for anything else. And when I think about how we go before God, even as followers of Christ, and we try to present that type of thinking to him, I'm reminded when my kids were little, and they would try to negotiate with you for desserts. And you ever have a child that asked you for something and followed it up with, I'll never ask you for anything else if you do this one thing. I've had my boys have told me before, if you get me this for my birthday, I'll never ask for another birthday gift. Yeah. (laughs) It's not going to happen. But we do this to God. God, if you could just bring me this relationship, then, man, then I'd really be content to walk with you. If you would just do this, God, then I'll be great. And the reality is that Christ often calls us to contentment in himself alone. And he sometimes will not necessarily keep things from us in a a mean way. But he will hold things back. And so he knows in his sovereign wisdom that we are ready for it. And there's sometimes he might even remove things from our life that are getting in the way of our relationship. That we think that thing is bringing us contentment or joy. And he says, listen, you're trusting too much in that. Not enough in me. I'm going to remove this for a little while so it can draw you back to me. You see, so often we go to God and we think, God, if you would just do this, then everything would be great. And the reality is we are like the child that asks for ice cream before dinner. We think it's the best thing for us. We think it's what we really want and need. But our father, who is both loving and wise, knows it's not the best thing for us. And so what seems like something he's taking from us that we really think would make us happy, in the long run, we actually find more joy and more peace and more contentment when we realize that he is all we need. 
We have also said many different things about different areas of this poll. We've talked about the area of perfection. We've talked about fame. We've talked about different areas of those kind of things that might pull at us in our culture. And last week we did talk about perfection, that so many of us struggle to be perfect, to get it perfect, to get it right. And I'm not, I said I wouldn't call anyone out and I still won't, but I just want to encourage you, if you raised your hand at the end of the service last week, obviously I said, everyone bow your heads and close your eyes. And if you want me to pray for you, if you struggle in this area of perfection, whether you put it on other people and expect them to be perfect. And when they're not, you lash out at them, even in humor, or you yourself put this weight on you to be perfect. It's expectations that you've created. And when you don't match those, you feel like you're not good enough. You don't even try because if I can't do it perfect, why even try? I just want to encourage you for those that actually had their eyes closed. Someone did tell me, well, pastor, I kind of peaked. I just got to let you know. I was there and I did kind of look around a little bit, but I was like, well, all Baptists kind of do that little holy peak, you know, where you're like, who else is doing this? Okay. Just so you know, if you actually didn't open your eyes, there were so many hands that went up. Be encouraged. You are not alone. And in fact, I got home from church and I, I tossed my phone down and I was getting changed. And all of a sudden I hear my phone go off and I was like, what's going on? I grabbed my phone and somebody was like, hey, pastor, is it too late to raise my hand? I just want to let you know I battle with this. Would you pray for me? And so listen, if you last week were like, man, Lord, you know this is my struggle. You are not alone. And if you think you're alone, that's the enemy trying to get you to feel defeated and isolated, but you're not. I mean, there are so many that struggle in that area of thinking, God, if, if I can't do it perfectly, then why even try? Now, I do need to say this, because we did explain the difference between perfection and striving for excellence in your field or as a, as a parent or as a follower of Christ. You want to do what God's called you to do well. There's nothing wrong with that. That's not perfection or chasing perfection. That's, you know what, God, you've gifted me. You've given me opportunity. I'm going to use this and be a good testimony. Do my very best for this. But I realize I'm going to mess up. I'm going to fall. I'm going to fail. And when I do, thank you for your grace that picks me up. But I'm going to strive for excellence. Someone approached me after the service session and said, I just want to let you know what I took out of your message. It was real encouraging. Basically what I got is God's okay with me just giving him whatever. So thanks for that. And he kind of laughed. And I was like, whoa, you're missing the point. Now, he was joking, right? But he was like, I just loved it. I was like, great, I don't got to even try. Cool, I can just give God whatever. And so we had a good laugh about that. But it was encouraging to hear so many people share with me, not only Sunday morning, but through the week, how they were encouraged by the message last week. And that tells me that that is something then that we struggle with, all of us. And again, maybe for you, it's just a slight irritating behavior that you have for your spouse. But maybe for some of us, it's more than that. And so if you missed last week, definitely go back and check that out. This morning, we're going to be diving into the pursuit of approval. The pursuit of approval. Usually, people that battle with this pull are people also that tend to be labeled as people pleasers. People pleasers. Now, here's the reality. And I think we can all admit this. We all like to be liked. I think if we were honest with ourselves, most of us, as I'm looking around the room, I don't, I don't think any of us would be like, nope, I could care less if someone likes me or not. Now, we might say that, but odds are, if we're really being honest, we like to be liked. We, we like that people like us. We like to feel like we are appreciated, that we're accepted, whether it be by family or friends or church. 
Most people don't walk around going, I don't care if anyone likes me. I don't care if anybody accepts me. They might say, now, I, I don't really care if the majority does. As long as this person, this person, this person do, I'm good. So maybe your circle is really small. But odds are, every single one of us, deep down, desire to be liked, to be accepted. And that can tend to be just a common thing we battle with at different levels. And maybe for you, it's like, you know what? Yeah, I like to be liked, but if they don't like me, that's okay. And you're just there. Great. But maybe for some of you, it's not so easy to just fluff that off and just let it roll off your back. We want people to think of us in good ways, but some people struggle with this in a greater way than others. We are consumed with the opinions of others. Some of us, and I can say some of us, because I'll put myself in this because I've been here and I am there at times. Some of us genuinely go through a day and depending on the words we hear from others, it dramatically affects how we think of ourselves, what we think of what God can do with us, how God can lead us. It instantly can feel like I'm just not good enough. And it's so amazing how we can pursue this approval. And again, maybe because you grew up, as we talked about last week, you grew up with these expectations and you genuinely felt like your parents or your peers really didn't accept you even as a person. They didn't want to be your friend unless you did this or that. Maybe in your home, you felt like your parents really didn't give you their approval unless you got the good grades, unless you did the good things. And maybe for you, you struggled with that even as a child. And now as an adult, you take that into your adult life at work or with your friends or your peers. You, you're kind of always worried like, well, what do they think about me? And what do they think about this? And what do they think about what I'm wearing and, and all this stuff? And I can promise you something. Other people don't think about you as much as you think other people think about you. And I'll give you a great, easy, silly example. Getting up for church in the morning and getting dressed for church. And I remember that for a long time, I would be getting dressed and I'd put a shirt on. And whether it be something like this or a shirt and tie or whatever, and I'd pause. And I'd go, what did I wear last Sunday? Did I wear this shirt last Sunday? Because we do our laundry. You know, we wash clothes during the week. So it's hanging back in my closet. I may have worn it. I don't know. And then I'll look at Sandra and I'll say, hey, what shirt did I wear last week? And she'll go, well, I don't know. And then she'll go, no, I think it was this one or it was this sweater or whatever. And because she's pretty smart like that. She remembers those things. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. But it's amazing to me. Like, I was th- I'm like, well, I don't want to wear the same shirt as last week. But then I was like, wait, if I wore it and I don't remember what I wore, odds are most of you aren't going to remember because you're too busy thinking about what? What did I wear last week? Meaning, what did you wear last week? Right? But we do this. We start thinking about what do other people think of me? How do they see me? How do they think of me? And now again, some of us, it's a mild, just a everyday kind of normal process of that. We don't really, it doesn't really consume us. But for some of us, it's actually a pursuit. Like I have to get their approval. I want them to think the best of me. Now it can even become a very negative thing when we actually want people to think so well of us, they actually start to envy us and want to be like us. And so we want their approval, but we really want their approval so that we would know that they know that we're better than them. And so we'll, we'll kind of put things out there or we'll say things. We always want the credit when we do something. Man, if you do a good deed, 
It better get noticed and it better get on Facebook. It better get pictures. It better get attention because I want people to know what I did. Because I want their approval that I am really a good Christian because look at all the things I'm doing and you're telling me I'm a good Christian, therefore I am. Or I want you to know how much better I am than you. And so you'll envy me and that'll make me feel really good. Because now I know you want to really be like me and okay, that makes me feel secure in my identity. And so many people struggle with this in different degrees, in different ways. For some of us, we actually think we need to fight for the approval of God. That if I don't do enough or act this way or whatever it might be, that God's not going to approve me or approve of me or accept me. I want to go to a passage in Proverbs. It's a simple verse, but it's one of those verses in Proverbs that really summarizes this idea very well. Proverbs chapter 29 And we're going to just read verse 25. If you're using one of the Bibles provided, there are some Bibles in the seats there, you can actually just turn to page 478. And so if you're using one of the Bibles provided, you can turn to page 478. Proverbs chapter 29 and verse 25. It says here in Proverbs 29, 25. The fear of man brings a snare, but whoso puts his trust in the Lord shall be safe. The fear of man brings a snare, but whoso puts his trust in the Lord shall be safe. That phrase, the fear of man brings a snare, another way of saying that would be the fear of man's opinions, traps or disables. The fear of man or man's opinions of you can bring a trap or a snare. It disables us. It makes us feel crippled. It makes us feel limited. The fear of man's opinions can actually disable and make us feel crippled. Let's pray and ask God to affirm how we can be set free from this type of pursuit. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your grace and your mercy. Father, you know my desire this morning is to communicate what you've given me as I've listened to other much wiser men in the ministry, different authors. Lord, obviously your word being the first and foremost source of truth. And Lord, as I've put this message together, Lord, I know that I am weak and limited in my ability to communicate what you desire your people to hear and receive. But I'm so thankful that you don't depend on my ability to communicate these things because your spirit is already doing that work. You're already speaking to hearts and minds through the reading of your word, through the giving of the word, which is where the power really is. And so, Father, I pray that you would help me to to not get in the way of what you're doing this morning, but that, Lord, you would work through this time. Father, thank you for your word. It is truly the foundation of all that we know of you. And it is our foundation for life and and how we live this life as well. That means how we see ourselves, how we see others, how we see you, and how we evaluate this pursuit for approval. How do we determine, Lord, just the normal everyday desire just to, to be a good testimony and to be a good witness versus the consuming trap that it can become when we fear man and man's opinions. Father, as only you can, I pray you'd give wisdom and guidance 
Thank you for setting us free in Christ. Thank you for your salvation that you provide. And I pray that you help us to know who we are this morning in a truer and fuller sense. Not that we would be glorified, but that you would be glorified. And Father, again, thank you for all of this. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. When we live our lives for the approval of others, we live in fear. When you are living your life solely on the approval of others. Now, this may mean, okay, I don't really, again, I don't care what everyone thinks. But man, if this person or this person or that person, if they, if I even thought for a second I didn't have their approval and their acceptance, that would really wreck me. Like I'm living for their acceptance. I don't care about everyone else, but these core people. Because those people normally or usually are the most important people in your life. And so you strive and you pursue. And and sometimes that means you'll maybe disregard something the Lord is leading you to say or something to do because you're not sure how this or that person will receive that or how they're going to accept that. And so maybe it's not everyone. Maybe you're not trying to get the approval of everyone. Maybe it's just a very small group or maybe even just one person. The reality is many marriages function in this way, unfortunately where one spouse is constantly trying to do enough to gain the approval of the other, even though the other may never have said or have expectations of that. And again, we want to be careful here. I'm not saying that we don't have expectations of each other, especially in marriage, biblical expectations that we can encourage each other to hold to, but it means we don't live based solely on their opinion of us or their approval of us. We have to know who we are in Christ. But when we live This way, we live for the pursuit of approval. Again, we live in a trap of man's opinions. So a question we have to ask this morning is, are you, just between you and the Lord, are you feeling trapped? Are you feeling trapped this morning? When you are stuck in the trap, three things that you might experience. When you are stuck in the trap, three things you might experience. Number one, you obsess about what others think. Not you just kind of think about it, it's passing thoughts. You obsess about it. You dwell on it. You obsess about what others think. Another thing, another symptom of being trapped in this fear of man is you are often overly sensitive to criticism. Now, I'm not talking about rude comments or negative things. I'm not talking about people that are just jerks to be jerks. Okay? Because there are. There are people that are just overly critical people. Most of the time, if you have people in your life who are overly critical of you, they don't really want the best for you. They want the best for you that they think is the best for you. So I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about even constructive criticism from somebody who loves you and cares for you. Somebody that actually wants the best that God wants for you. And in a loving, humble, gracious way, they share a simple word of encouragement that may sound critical at the time. And you find yourself overly sensitive to that. Or another example or symptom of being stuck in this trap is you have a hard time saying no. You have a hard time saying no. Even when you know you should say no, you don't want to say no because they heard you say no and now you're scared that you said no. And here's usually what happens. If you're living this way, you think things like this. I really don't have time for that. I really don't think God's gifted me for that. I really don't think God wants me to do that. I really don't think that's the best of use of my time. But they're asking me. And if I say no, they'll be disappointed in me. And if they're disappointed in me, then I'm going to feel bad. And if I feel bad, then I don't have their approval. So I'll say yes. Even though you know it's not really what you should be doing. 
Now, for some things, and some of us, saying no is really easy. Some of you are gifted no's. Like, you just, you just, no. <laughs> you want to, no. Hey, I'm moving, no. <laughs> hey, can I, bro- no. Okay, some of you are the opposite extreme. Y'all need to learn to say yes once in a while, okay? Because people are not going to like you very long, okay? It's tough when you always say no. But some of us, honestly, we really battle with this. And so, again, I'm not saying the answer is always no. Sometimes the best answer we can give if we genuinely don't know what the answer is, is, man, I really appreciate you asking me this or, or coming to me or thinking of me. I'll tell you what I'll do. I don't know what the Lord wants me to do. Can I pray about this? Can I just spend some time to pray on this a little bit and see what the Lord would have me to do? Because sometimes your initial reaction might be no. But it's not really because God led you there or because you don't think you're gifted or talented. It might be fear making you say no. Well, I'm not good enough to do that. No, I don't want to do that. Sometimes the best answer is to say, I'll pray about that. Can I pray about that? But don't just say you'll pray about it. Pray about it. And if I encourage something, set a deadline to it. If the person asks you to do something and there's a timeline here, say, hey, I know you need to know. Can you give me till Tuesday morning? Can I, can I just have a couple days to pray over this? And I, I promise you I'll let you know Tuesday morning. It's just something like that. Now, again, for those that really battle with this pursuit of approval, your knee-jerk reaction is to say yes because you think that's what they want to hear. So you say yes, then you commit to doing this, and then what happens because you don't really want to do it and you don't really have the time for it. So do you do it well? Probably not. So you feel guilty for not doing it well, and if you're a perfectionist who also wants approval, now you're really in trouble because you've done it poorly, but you also committed to it, and now you're fearful they're not going to approve or accept you. See, some of us battle with this. We honestly know the answer should be no. And we don't want to let people down. So if you're stuck in that trap, this might be describing what you feel sometimes. Now again, what's the solution to this? How do we get out of this? Well, I want to let you know there is an answer to it and there is a solution. Many people struggle in this area and live in the constant fear of losing someone's approval of them. You live in constant fear struggle with this. It's just, it's just there all the time. And I can promise you that when you start to learn who you are in Christ and that you're already approved in him and you begin to seek him, you'll find that there is great freedom in saying no. Now, again, I'm not saying we always say that, but if that's you and you battle with this, then maybe you need to pray, God, give me wisdom that I would not live in the fear of man. A couple of truths I want to point out as well if we live this way. A couple of truths that I believe we also need to realize if we live this way. These are not symptoms. These are the spiritual aspects of living this way. The first thing we have to note is people-pleasing, as we normally call it, is actually a form of idolatry. People-pleasing is actually a form of idolatry. We have placed others above God. You've actually placed others above God because their opinion of you matters most. And so therefore, now you are not under God's approval and his desire to have his approval. Now you're like, hey, as long as they approve of me. Some of us, if we really struggle with this, we will actually neglect the truth of God's word so that someone in my life will continue to accept me. We actually are using them and their approval to make ourselves feel better. 
I will neglect the truth of God's word or the truth of that moment, whatever God is leading me to do or say, because I know if I encourage God's truth, they may not accept me. And if I don't have them, then I don't have whatever they give me. That feeling of approval from them can actually be something that we're using them for. Like, I love what you give me and that acceptance more than I want to honor God in this moment is really what you're saying. When you neglect the truth of God for the approval of others. I want to give you an example. So often, especially in our culture today, we are afraid to speak boldly what the Bible actually says about issues we face in our culture. An example would be, this is just one of many, the Bible states very clearly, Genesis chapter 1, there are only two genders, male and female. God created them this way, male and female. However, a lot of times when believers or Christians choose to put that kind of a statement out there, not attacking anyone, not calling anyone names, it's the truth of God's word. The Bible clearly says there's no room for, uh, well, maybe, no, male and female, done. That's what the Bible says. But if you put that out there in our culture today, some form or fashion, whether it be social media or even in a conversation, if you put it online that way, again, just stating the truth, the comments you will get back will be mixed, to say the least. You might get comments of agreement. Other believers that said, yes, that's what the Bible says. Amen. Yeah, that's great. You also might get comments about how it is unloving and unkind to say such harsh things. And the reality is, and actually in our men's Bible study, the author of the, the book that we were going through pointed this out. People would be more offended at the possible offense to others than the sin being addressed is offensive to God. So here's what happens. You say something like that. There's only two genders, male and female. A Christian primarily somebody younger, maybe 20s or early 30s, might come back and say, you know, I don't think that's very nice that you said that. And they're actually more offended at you for telling the truth and what God's word says because they're worried that someone else might be offended who's living in sin and denying the truth of God, and yet they're not worried about the sin. They don't get offended by the sin. They're not mad about the sin. They're more concerned that you're just not being nice. And this is the culture we live in. Where believers are being caught up in this thinking of, yes, I know the Bible says this, but if I say that or I communicate that in some way, shape, or form, those, there are those in my life, some in the church and some out of the church, that will actually not want anything to do with me. They'll disregard me. I'll lose their approval. So because I don't want to lose their approval, I'm just not going to say anything. Because you're committing idolatry. You want their approval and their acceptance more than you want to acknowledge the truth of God's word. And this is what we see happening in our culture today. If we choose to live this way, we will commit the act, the sin of idolatry. When we choose to put others' approval of us over the approval or the word of God. So one truth we have to understand is that people-pleasing is a form of idolatry. The other truth that we need to understand when we live this way or when we choose to live this way is the approval of God 
sets us free. And I love what Craig Rochelle said here, the disease to please. The approval of God sets us free from the disease to please. Galatians, go over to Galatians in the New Testament, chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1. If you're using one of the Bibles provided, uh, I believe it's going to be page 820. So Galatians chapter 1 and verse 10. Galatians chapter 1 and verse 10. Paul writing here to the church of Galatia. And he's communicating them this truth of his ministry, how he viewed his ministry, how he viewed his call. And I love verse 10. For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I yet pleased men, I should not be the servant of Christ. Paul brings our minds to a vitally important question in chapter 1, verse 10. I don't know if you saw the question. Let me read it again. For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I yet to please, if I, for if I yet pleased men, I should not be the servant of Christ. Now, there's a couple questions he asked there, but I believe the ultimate question he's asking here is, whose servant are you? Whose servant are you? Are you the servant of God, the servant of Christ, or are you the servant of men? And you might say, oh, no, no, I'm a believer, I'm a servant of Christ. Okay, but are you practically living as a servant of Christ? Or do you profess to be a servant of Christ, but you live as a servant of men because men's approval of you matters more than God's reality of who you really are in Christ? See, this is where we need to be so guarded. And I'm I'm saying we and us, because hear me now, this is me. I battle with this at times. Now, praise God, I don't battle with it like I used to. There was once upon a time, man, if somebody didn't like me in the church, oh man, if Sandra was here, she could come testify. I'd go home and for days I'd dwell on that thing. And I would think through the conversations and I would think through, well, maybe I could have said this, or maybe if I did it this way, then they would like me. Then they would accept me. Then they'd be okay with me. It wasn't until really just a few years back where God started slowly setting me free from that. And it wasn't that, that they didn't like, you know, something I maybe preached or whatever. It was genuinely like there was, we just don't like you. (laughs) You ever have somebody not like you, but you don't know why they don't like you. Doesn't that just drive you crazy? Oh, trust me, it's on them when, yes, praise God. Thank you for your spiritual input. Jeez. That's where I'm at now. But man, there was once upon a time, it just would eat away at me. And I used to think, but if I could just figure out what they don't like, some of you are going to relate to this. If I can figure out what they don't like about me, then I can address that with them. And then maybe, maybe they'll like me. And they'll accept me again. Amen. When you live this way, it's little by little. It starts to eat away at you. And it starts to eat away at you. And all of a sudden you find yourself dwelling more on the people around you than even on who you are in Christ. Now, for some of you in the room right now or watching online, you're like, I don't get that. I don't battle with that. But as we said a few weeks back, maybe you're good with this. But maybe there's somebody in your life that's battling with this. And maybe there's some way that God is going to bring you two together and you can encourage them to help them be set free from this living in the fear 
of man. Whose servant are you? Are you the servant of others or God? The truth is we will conform our lives to the desires of the one we serve. You and I will conform our lives to the desires of the one we serve. So what's the solution? As I've kind of alluded to a few times, it's knowing who you are in Christ. One author said it so well. Becoming obsessed with what people think about you is the fastest way to forget what God thinks about you. Becoming obsessed with what other people think about you is the fastest way to forget about what God thinks about you. So, who am I in Christ? Ephesians chapter 1. Let's go there. Ephesians chapter 1. Just a few pages over from Galatians chapter 1. So, Uh, If you're using the Bible provided, the next book after Galatians is Ephesians. So just a couple pages. Now, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 14 is an amazing portion of Scripture. If you ever need a reminder, not just of who you are, but who your God is, this is an amazing passage. But I just want to look at a couple of verses here. Ephesians 1 and verse 4. Ephesians 1 and verse 4. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Verse 6. To the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us, and there's the word, that I, if you're like me and you battle with this, you need to note this, underline it, highlight it, circle it, something. But this word is the key. Verse 6, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. You see, the first thing we need to note is that I am, you are, we are accepted by Christ. If you know Christ as your Lord and personal Savior, you've received him for yourself. You've confessed your sins, repented, turned from those sins, believed and trusted in the Savior that Jesus said he is and was, that he died on the cross for your sins, was buried and rose again. You've put your faith and your trust in him, not in religion, not in denomination, not in baptismal waters, not in tithing, not in reading the Bible through in a year, but you've placed your faith and trust in the person of Jesus Christ. Realizing your sin separated you from God. You needed a savior. You needed somebody outside the situation to step into the situation to save you. You've done that. You've made that decision for yourself as God worked in you by his grace. Then the Bible says, praise God, you are accepted. Present tense, right now. Not you will be accepted, although we'll talk about we will be before him one day. You are right now in this moment as you are in Christ, accepted. You see, you were chosen before the world began. That's an amazing reality to me that you were chosen before the world began began. You were on the mind of God before he spoke the very word of creation, that he was thinking about you and I, like we were on his mind. He chose us before the foundations of the world. God was not only aware you would exist, he knew the very hairs that would be on your head, like he knew the intimate details about you. Now, for some of you, those hairs aren't quite as much as they used to be, but that's fine. For you, it's just a little different than it used to be. That's cool. You don't know what 
we have to go through, but that's fine. <laughs> Just saying, God's going to humble me now. All my hair is going to fall out tonight. Like I'm going to be bald as a baby. Man, he knew you intimately. Like he didn't just know about you. He knew the very details of everything about you. The shade of your skin, the tone of your skin, the color of your eyes. Everything about you he knew intimately before he even laid the foundation of the world. And he took great care in creating you with purpose. And in Christ, we now get to know our purpose in him. And we are now able to live in the purposes that God has for us and glorify him. As verse says, to the glory of his grace, we've been accepted. You were not accepted because of you. As beautiful a creation as you are, as, as, as amazing and as wonderful and as blessed as you are to be a follower of Christ, it's not about you. He chose you. And to the glory of his grace, we praise him. Not only are we currently accepted in Christ, but I will be blameless before Christ one day. And so we understand this. I am accepted. I am forgiven. I am blameless now. But one day, the Bible says, I will be blameless before Christ. This again is tied to the amazing blessing in salvation. We will stand before a holy and just God and be called blameless. Listen to how this word blameless is defined. It is without blemish. It is faultless, unblameable. The actual use is that of a sacrifice that is without blame or spotless. It's perfect sacrifice. There's no spot, no tarnish, no fault. This is what Paul said again in Ephesians 5 and verse 27. Not having spot or wrinkle. And I think we can all say amen to that. Or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. See, this is where we think, man, it's going to be great. One day when I'm blameless, one day when I'm holy before him. But I don't feel very holy today. It's great, preacher. I, I love that you're telling me I'm accepted in Christ, that I'm accepted in him, that I don't have to fear what man think about me, that I'm approved by God, that I'm holy in Christ. But if I can be real, I don't feel very holy today. I don't feel very blameless in my life right now. And the truth is, we do need to walk in the standing that we hold with God in Christ. We should live in a holy manner, to honor God, to honor Christ in all things. We should desire, as 1 John says, my little children, sin not. That is our goal. We should strive to live holy lives. There's a movement in Christianity today that says, because there is grace, it doesn't matter what you do. My grace card, just throw it out there. You can live however you want. Whenever I hear that kind of stuff preached, I, Romans chapter 6 comes to mind, do we sin that grace may abound? God forbid. Of course we don't sin that grace may abound, but praise God that the goal is to sin not. But guess what? When I do, or if I do stumble in sin, there is an advocate with God the Father. It is Jesus Christ the righteous. So we strive to live in a holy manner. We strive to make choices that would honor Christ and honor God and, and honor his word. But you are not going to stand before him because you were holy enough. You stand before him because he is holy enough. 
Should we as followers of Christ live in a way that pleases him? Of course we should strive for that. But you're not going to stand before God one day because you got there on your own merit. Because you were good enough. Because you did the right things. No, you're standing there because you could never be good enough. And he was holy enough. He was the only sacrifice that could be given to conquer sin and death and hell. So how is it that an impure and dirty sheep like you and I can be considered spotless and pure? It's because Christ was spotless and is spotless. He is the perfect sinless lamb who sacrificed himself for us. He took on sin that we might be saved. So what does that, what does that do for you? What does it do for you when you realize that you could not earn it, that you could not deserve it, and God in Christ sent, Christ came to this world and sent himself all the way to the cross, and he died on that cross so that you could be saved and redeemed and spotless. And one day, not accepted just now, but one day you'll be blameless. I don't know what that does for you, but it calls my heart to praise. It calls me to say, God, my life is yours. You see, so many times we'll hear people say, why do you have this hope? Why do you have this joy? Why do you have this peace? And often if we're not careful, we'll start with answers like, well, I did this and I made this decision and and I did that. The reality is when we talk about the salvation that we have in Christ, every answer should start in the third person. Oh, he did this and oh, he did that. And he saved me and he rejoiced over me and he saw joy in me. And so he chose by his grace to save me apart from anything that I did. See, it's all about him. Alistair Begg said it so well. I was listening to a sermon by him uh, a long time ago, and I just heard it again recently. He said he can't wait till the day he meets the thief on the cross in heaven. If you don't know the story of the thief on the cross, there was two thieves hanging on each side of Christ, and one was just cursing and yelling and saying all this stuff, and the other thief basically cries out and says, don't you know who this is? We deserve to be up on these crosses. He has done nothing wrong. So he kind of silences the other thief over there, and then he looks at Jesus, and he says, remember me. Would you remember me when you enter your kingdom? And Jesus' response is what? Yep, just get down off the cross, go to church for six weeks, right? Do these things, make this decision, okay? Do this, do that, be a good person, right? Do enough good to outweigh your bad that you've done. No, he says, today you'll be with me in paradise. And Alistair Begg says it this way. He says, I can't wait to get to heaven and meet the thief on the cross because I can only imagine when he got to the, to the entrance and the angel is there ready to let him in and and he says, could you imagine the angel says, okay, uh, what brings you here today? Why, how, why are you getting in? And the guy goes, I don't know. <laughs> he goes, oh, no, no, wait, wait, wait. What, did, what did you do with this? Or what did you do with that? Well, I, I, I don't know. This, this guy was being crucified next to me. And, and I believe that he was perfect and he was the son of God. And I just asked him, remember me? And here I am. Could you imagine that angel? Yes. Amen. Can you imagine that angel looking around going like, hold on a second, let me get my supervisor. Hold on, let me go. Uh... <laughs> he calls over the supervisor and the supervisor comes and says, yes, what can I do for you? And he's like, I don't know why this guy's here. He just showed up. <laughs> and can you imagine the supervisor saying, okay, um, can you tell me, can you explain to me the doctrine of sanctification? Let's just get that said. That's a pretty basic thing. And the guy goes, I've never heard of that. And he says, okay, how about the doctrine of bibliology and the sufficiency of Scripture and the inerrancy of Scripture? Can you describe that for me? Do you have those views on Scripture and the authority of the Scripture? What are you talking about? Well, what brings you here? What, what gives you the right to come in here? And could you remember saying, well, he died for me. He gave his life for me. And he said, 
that that was sufficient. You see, so often we think it's about us. And so because we focus on us more than who we are in Christ, which really is about focusing on Christ, we've consumed our lives with the opinions of others to the point where we will neglect the very truth of Scripture for the fear that someone might not like what we said. Listen, one day when you stand before him and your works are judged, not unto salvation, that's sealed and done in Christ, but the things we do for Christ will last. You see, when we stand before Christ, he's not going to take a popularity poll. He's not going to take a survey of what your friends thought of you. He's going to look at you one-on-one and judge your life. Again, not unto salvation. That is done. We are sealed in the day of redemption. We are not working for our salvation, but we do work for Christ. And the Bible says we will give an account. We will give an account for how we live this life. And a sufficient answer is not going to be, yes, I know you wanted me to say and do and go, but my friends didn't think I should. My culture thought it was unpopular. Some people in my community thought it was not very kind. And do we believe in who we say or who God says we are in Christ? Do we really believe that? Do we really believe who God is? Do we believe his word? And if we believe his word, then we, this is our foundation, not others' opinions of, of this. This is our foundation. The Bible says that there will come a day where people will neglect and refuse sound doctrine and they will heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, wanting to be soothed. If you don't like what the Bible says, you'll find a church that preaches things that aren't in this book, that twists things that are in this book to make you feel really good about yourself. But if you really want to know the God of this book, then you got to go to this book. And so however God is encouraging you, I would just close with this. In what ways are you seeing yourself be trapped in the opinions of others? If we were to prioritize Christ's approval over the approval of others, how might that change our lives and even our relationships? Would you bow with me in a word of prayer? As you bow there where you are, the band is going to come and lead us in a song of invitation. And an invitation is really simply just a chance to respond to what God is doing. And maybe you're here this morning and you find yourself trapped in that fear of man that you desire so much to have the approval of others. That you're willing to do anything to compromise even truth of God's word just to keep their approval and their acceptance. Now, this doesn't mean that we go the opposite direction, that we're offensive just to be offensive. The gospel is offensive enough as it is. It doesn't need our help. The truth of God's word is offensive on its own. It doesn't need our help to add to that. So it doesn't mean that we just go kind of the other extreme and just be a jerk for Jesus and just kind of just be as obnoxious as possible. This also doesn't mean that we can live in a way that refuses to acknowledge that we have a testimony before other people. And that it matters that we live in a way that does reflect Christ. Sometimes when you teach on something like this, people say, okay, I don't need to fear the approval of others. I don't need the approval of others or their acceptance. So therefore, I don't care what they think. Therefore, I'll live however I want. 
And if anyone says anything critical of me, even a brother or sister in Christ, in love, humbly, it's obviously just their problem. So Lord, I, I pray that your spirit would give us wisdom in this. It's, a, it's not an easy thing to understand at times and how to apply. So I pray that you'd give us your wisdom and your guidance. Help us to live in a way that would honor you and please you, but also, Father, may we know that we are already accepted and approved in Christ. If there's anyone here, Lord, that doesn't know you as their Lord and personal Savior, may they come to know you today before they leave this place. It's not about religion. It's about a relationship with you. And so may they just respond favorably to your call on their heart, to the call of grace and repentance, and believe and trust in you. Father, again, thank you for this morning, and we pray that you have been and will continue to be glorified in all that is said and done. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Would you stand to your feet this morning? As we are led in a song of invitation, if you feel that trap, you, you feel that you're stuck in that, stop living that way. There is freedom and grace in Christ. So maybe you'd come this morning and bend the knee and say, Lord, remind me of who I am in you that I might glorify you and stop living in the fear of man. Whatever God is doing, would you respond as we sing this morning?